0: It's important. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. All right. This podium's getting shorter or I'm getting taller. I don't know which one it is. On there. I want to share with you, I want to start a little bit different than I. This Lord just brought something to my memories back in prayer. And, you know, I've kind of decided in my life as I get older, if the Lord just kind of lays something, I'm going to start doing it uh, and to start reacting to it, uh, whether it's just whatever. And I, I started doing that here time back because, you know, you never know how you... But I want to share something with you. I don't know who this is for tonight. I thought I'd share it with you. I, um, years ago, my wife and I were parished in a little church in a town called Buena Vista, Virginia. And the sign when you go into Buena Vista says 5,000 good people and one old duffer or something like that. I never knew what that one old duffer, or grouch, or something like that. So I never knew what that meant. But uh, the gentleman who was retiring, retiring there asked me to come because... He wants somebody to take care of the church. And it was about 45 minutes from our home church. So we did. We moved there. We took it for almost a year. <laughs> and um, we decided it was time to move back home. We turned it over to somebody else. But come back home and help our pastor and back to work. But during that time, you know how you're trying to win souls and help people. And you've got your family there and you. And there's times that are kind of, you're kind of lonely, to be honest with you, especially in a town of 5,000. Mm, you know, uh, that's not, if you know my wife, anything about my wife, she doesn't like small towns a whole lot. So 5,000 was really small. Uh, and so, but, you know, we would go on trying to do the work of the Lord. And I had a guy that I worked with and I was witnessing to him and trying to get his wife to come to church. He agreed to a Bible study. So it had been my first Bible study. And I got there and I was like, I was really, really excited about it in the corner. I was like, man, i was really excited about this. So we got some nice snacks and the meal laid out real nice, you know, ready for him to come. And it's about 7 o'clock, I guess, maybe. And uh, 7 30, never showed. They didn't come. And I told my wife, well, you know, I was going to go for a drive just just like go for a drive well up on above this little town they had a park that was above over the city you could see the whole city which didn't take long but you could see the city all oh, I see the city on top of this park and I was I was leaning on the hood of my car and just talking to the Lord when I talk to the Lord I talk a lot like I'm talking to you to be honest with you that's how, I, that's how I communicate to God just like a friend I had to talk to the Lord and tell him a little bit about my frustrations and whether or not I should be there at that time and you know how that how all that stuff goes and I looked down on one of the streets, and they had a fire alarms go off in the town. Of course, you can hear it all, uh, all over the place. And I was up on the park, and I watched this fire. Uh, this fireman come out, this fire truck come out. It was dark; it was completely dark. And I watched him, and I watched the fire truck come out, and I watched him go down the main street. I watched him go up that road to the park, way up on the hill there. Come up, and he came right to where I was. <clears throat> and the guy gets out of the truck. He says, "Hey, you see a fire up here?" I'm standing there, I've got to tell you, I'm standing there, I said, no, sir. <laughs> he said, well, somebody called in, said there's a fire up here on this hill up here, and we come to see, if you, you, you see anything? I said, no, sir. He got back, of course, he got back in his truck, and I'm standing there thinking, God, you always know where we're at. You are always, he would just let me know, I know where you're at, buddy. I know where you're at. And he has done it through my life time and time and time again. Just when I think, I get to my point, right? God's that He always comes through. And I want to share that with you tonight because maybe somebody here needs that. And let you know that God always knows where you're at. He always knows where you're at. He always knows what you're going through. Amen? And I really wanted to share that with somebody tonight. And that's happened several times in my lifetime. I could point back at different places in my life where God really needed to come through for me in certain areas. And he did. Every single time, Brother Ward. He did it every time. You know, and I lean back on those place times now when I'm going through things. It just makes my faith higher now. I don't have to know. God doesn't have to do those things to me. But I'm glad when he does. I just do my faith and say, I know you're there, the Lord. And I wanted to share that with you. I thought that was pretty neat. And it came to my mind when I was praying. I thought, well, Lord, I'll share that. All right, anybody know what scripture we're going to read tonight? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Starting for the 31st verse. Or actually, we'll start with the 30th. Have all the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Verse Corinthians 13, though I speak the tongues of man and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, and I have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity charity violeth not itself, is not puffed up. Do not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, and hopeth all things endureth all things. Charity never fail. But whether it be in prophecies, they shall fail. Whether it be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But that which but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face Now I know in part, but then shall I now, even as also I am known. And now by the faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. We know that is love. Amen. So let's get right into it tonight. I'm gonna share some uh the message tonight, but when I get to the end, I'm gonna share some personal belief system that I have when it comes to people. It's a little bit different than what I've got in the book, but it's something I feel very strongly with and really the Lord has, has dealt with me for over 37 years on these, some of these topics. 30, I was on the way home tonight from work, and I've been blessed. I've been, I've been trying to get off early so I can go home and before I come to church and get my mind together because sometimes I'm rushing right from work and right in the door, man. I'm like, I am scattered, uh, especially on Wednesday nights because it's our inventory night, and everybody's trying to crunch and get everything done. But um, on the way here, I was just thinking, Lord, you have put some of these things in my mind I've had since I was 16 years old when it comes to people. Uh, and I'll share some of that with you here in a little bit. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the hammer principle and the elevator principle. Okay? We're going to start with the hammer principle, which simply says, never use a hammer to swat a fly off someone's head. Not, not a bad, huh? Right? That'd be easy to remember. Never use a hammer to swat a fly off someone's head. Now, thinking back on the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, we've been talking about, a lot about relationships, right? About relations, we all have them. We all use them every single day. It's about, it's more, these lessons are about us because these get us ready to prepare us to reach out and focus on other people. But we can't quite do that unless we're ready here, unless we're ready. So these are about us, these, these lessons, as we tie up this, this portion of this lesson here uh, this week. Um, if you would win the world, it once said, do not hammer it, but melt it. The question we must ask ourselves what others say that I overreact to small things in a relationship? Now, please don't get quiet. So we need to ask ourselves, do we use a hammer when a fly swatter would do better? <clears throat> a man walks into a drugstore and asks the man behind the counter, do you have anything for cure hiccups? The guy behind the counter reaches down, grabs a wet towel and slaps him in the face with it. And the guy says, what are you doing? He said, well, I just cured your hic- hiccups. He said, I didn't have the hiccups. My wife did. She's out in the car. Do we, do we? Sometimes we don't always see the total picture, right? Many times we'll come to, we'll come to conclusions long before the problem has been laid out. Uh, and it's very common for strokes, folks with strong personalities. I am one of those. I, I'm telling you, I am one. If you give me a problem, my mind is already solving the problem before you finish your sentence. And that's just a thought I've been working on for years and years and years. And I still have it. <laughs> not near as bad, but I still have it. My personality is that is, I can answer that. I, I, I know I know the answer, right? And so now I've learned to listen a little bit more. Not as much as I should, but better, okay? Um, <clears throat> but it is very common among per- people that have strong personalities. I always want to give you the answer before you finish the question. Anybody know about like that? You do now because he's standing right here, okay? <clears throat> so before we use a hammer, we need to go through a series of steps to help us with this. One of those is to listen. The second one is to ask questions. The third, the third one is to listen. and I, I can get to the third one. It's after that I have problems with. Ask more questions, listen some more, and then respond. How many of us get through all those before we respond? Not a lot of people, I gotta tell you. My patience, I'm like, I'm on to the next problem. Right, I'm on the next thing. And I love my wife, 34 years, coming up on 34 years, amen. And I tease people. When they tell me how long to get married, I said 34 years to so the same woman. Thank you. <laughs> but um, I was, I, she used to work for a government contractor who made these Humvees in the military that would go, be able to go over uh, an IED without hurting the men inside. They were built a certain way. They could actually drive over a, uh, a bomb and not hurt the men inside. So she, she really enjoyed that job. But she used to come home and tell me she says, baby, she would have to deal with some folks that are military and some colonels and different people like that to walk around. They might ask her a question. She worked in finance, and she had to ask, answer a lot of questions and, or even ask some. So they would ask her a question, and she would give them a 10-minute exhortation on the question. Now, if you know my wife, we're completely, completely different. When she's telling me a story, she's like, you know, uh, so the other day the, uh, the, the, the daughter got hurt the other day. Or the granddaughter got hurt the other day. Oh, yeah, by the way, we stopped on the way over there and we stopped over here. And then, you know, uh, and, but 15 minutes later, she tells me what really happened in the beginning, right? And I'm like, and I'm better now, but about 10 minutes, maybe seven minutes in the story, my head starts to go like this. Like, here, sorry. So when she would, and she just sees a story. She, she likes to expound on the story. I want to get to the point faster you know uh, it would be better but you're talking to these people in high places and that uh, and i've dealt i deal with those people all the time and so i said baby that guy does not want a story he wants to give you he wants you to give him the answer as quickly as possible and if he wants to know any other information he will ask you and she had a hard time understanding yeah but he wasn't he's not going to listen he's checked out after the second sentence all right um, and I also have learned when I write emails to my people, I have to keep one or two liners. So one of the guys worked for me recently, and asked me, "You sent a lot of emails?" I said, "Because people don't read paragraphs; they only read a couple sentences." So I will send just spot, just reminding people to do things right, because well, I know they get through two sentences before they click delete. You know, <laughs> I've kind of learned that the hard way too. But you know, sometimes we, if we would do, help ourselves by listening. I think that's probably what I'm trying to get across here. The better we do at listening to people, the more uh, impactful we have in our relationship with them. Because at the end of the day, a lot of times, people just don't want us to fix things. They just want somebody to listen, right? Amen. Timing is another one. Someone once said, if it's, not, it's what you do, not what you say that counts. And that's not always particularly true. If a general doesn't order an attack on his troops at the right time, the battle can be lost. So timing does big, it's a big play into this when you're having more relationships with folks. If the parent doesn't get an injured child to the hospital, their life might be in danger. Um, If I don't apologize to someone when wrong, the relationship could be lost. Sometimes we wait too long. Timing is very, very important when you're dealing with people. Very important. Say the wrong thing at the the wrong time, and man, things just blow up. Um, Knowing when to act is important as taking the right action and even knowing when not to act can be very, very important when dealing with folks. And I will say that probably gets more people in trouble than anything else, it was because they overreact. And we'll talk a little bit about overreacting to the action, to other people. They overreact, so our first tendency is to overreact and and to match that. The real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing in the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. Kevin McHale was a former basketball player, and he was a coach for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he had a coach named Casey Jones, who coached the Celtics. And uh, when the guys would miss a shot or they would lose a game on a mistake that they would make, the coach would always come up to them and says, hey, we'll get them next time. Don't worry about it. There'll be another game. And so Kevin McHale used to watch this for years and years and years, and finally went to his coach one time. He said, coach, I noticed that when we did something wrong, you always encouraged us, but when we did something right, you would never say good job, he said, well, he said, this is the way I look at it. When you're out there at the basketball court and you, win the, you shoot to the, hit the winning shot and 15,000 fans are yelling your name and screaming at you, that's good enough. That's a good point. I mean, it, you know, he, he, he used that when he needed to use it. And it was very, very effective for his team. He didn't use it wastefully when he didn't need to use it. He used it when it was very impactful. The most common cause of bad timing relationships many times is selfish motives. For that reason, when little things bother us, our number one objectives must be putting our personal agenda aside and building the relationship first. If you have examined your motives and you can be certain that they are good, then you need to ask yourself two timing questions. The first one is, am I ready to confront? Okay. That depends whether or not you've done your homework. The second one, which is a little harder, is the other person ready to hear what I have to say? If we have laid a real relationship foundation and the two of you are not in the heat of the battle, then the answer may be yes. I call it a little bit like corn in a crib, right? If I have built a relationship with somebody and I have built time with them, I can talk to them. I can be very, very uh, straight. And, and I tell you, as I've got open, and I've been doing this for years, I will ask people to ask me a question because sometimes people want to know. What do you think? Or what are you in a the relationship? They want to know what you think. And I'll, I'll ask them especially if I think they won't agree with me, I will say, do you want me to tell you what you would like to hear or would you like me to tell you what I really think? <laughs> because many years ago, I said that, and they said, I, I, and they said, I want to know what you think, and they didn't like what I thought. And it, you know, but I gave them every opportunity, Brother Corner, right? But I, use the, I do say that because I don't want to damage the relationship, but at the same time, if somebody asks me to give them the truth, I would like to be able to do that to help them, not to hurt them, but to say, "Hey, this is what I think it doesn't mean I'm not certain necessarily to be right, but this is what I feel what I think about it, right? Um, <clears throat> so are we ready to confront, and are we be careful about the heat being in the heat of the battle? The tone of which we say things many times can, can hinder our uh, relationships uh, and our timing. so the, the timing and then the tone, um, I know people who can say something, and man, when they say it, it's just like scratching a chalkboard, right? I mean, I, you know, and some people come up and say the exact same thing, and it doesn't bother them, as many times it's in our tone, how we do it. People often respond to our attitudes and actions more than to our words. Many petty conflicts occur because people use the wrong tone of voice. The writer of Proverbs stated that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but a harsh word stir up wrath. There's a scripture in Hebrews, and I forgot to write down, but it is in Hebrews, and I just had it in my mind, so I wrote it down. It says, Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's found in Hebrews. <clears throat> the next time someone says something to you in anger, respond with gentleness and kindness. When you do that, the person who spoke harshly is likely to tone down, if not soften his attitude completely. <clears throat> now, I'm talking about us, okay? Us helping other people right? You heard me say in the very beginning that at some point in our lives, we need to get over whether or not we can stay saved between Wednesday and Sunday, right? We're, we're mature Christians. People have been around. I'm not talking about somebody who just came to church. But if you've been around 10, 15, 20 years, I'm not worried about whether I can make it till Sunday. If I can't make it till Sunday, I'm not going to make it anyway. <laughs> I just want to tell you right now, okay? It's not going to happen. Uh, but when we're dealing with other people, we got to keep in mind, and the first thing that we give up when we become a Christian can I tell you this? People really don't like it? Because we give up our rights. See, nobody likes that because we live in America. Right? Have it your way. Do it all for you. You know, because you deserve it. You deserve a break today. Just, you know, all, all it's us, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. It's always about us. But if we want to reach, really, really, really want to reach our world, we've got we've to turn this around a little bit and become, the scripture says many times that the, that the children of the world are wiser than the children of light. The children of darkness are wiser than the children of the light. We've got to spin this thing around. Because if we really believe that what we have can help people and deliver people, then let's make sure that our tone, the delivery, and the temperature in which we're delivering it is a positive one. To help people, right? Not to hurt people or, or step on people. And, and I don't mean, and I mean, you know, there's some people I... I, I, I've shared a gospel with. And there's some people that that time, that's not what they need. They need somebody to listen. <clears throat> um, so as temperatures flare, people are prone to dropping bombs when using a slingshot would do. Um, well, let me, I, mean, I skip something. So next time someone says something to you in anger, respond with gentleness and kindness. When you do that, the person who spoke harshly will come down. So I want to, which is why I brought that up is because I, now that I'm working at the airport, many times you're dealing with people on a daily basis, but you're in a, a public environment all the time. There's no way to get away. There's no, and i already tell you some instances we already had at the airport. I'm like, and I've had to document people for speaking too loudly because they got harsh and they got loud and other people didn't already hear them. So I have practiced this in there. And as people get upset, I just keep getting lower and lower. And they got to shut up or they won't be able to hear me. And I start talking lower to get them to drop their tone of voice because I'm in a public I don't want people necessarily to hear you will know, pull them over to the side but it's very easy to hear people when you go in an airport in that, in that kind of a setting so changing your the way you um, talk your, the temperature in what you talk the tone all that you bring that down a little bit and become the control of the situation the issue uh, someone told me one time the issue is never the issue it's one of the most profound things that somebody's ever given me. The issue is never the issue when you're in an argument. The issue is control. Who's going to win the argument? See, nobody said, "Amen," but it was over well, the word. Okay. okay. Here's why I know that I am 100% right. How many of y'all have ever had an argument with your spouse? How many of y'all 30 minutes later can't remember what started the argument? I, and how many of you are still mad today because of that argument? Altar after church, right up here. Okay. Right up here, we got this fully open altar. You can run as fast as you need to. The, that, was a, that was a set-up question, by the way, that I asked you. That wasn't even part of the original question. But <laughs> <laughs> Too ornery, I guess. <laughs> but we forget what started the argument, and the whole idea of the argument was to win. I'm a guy. An argument, I want to win. The problem is, I forget about tomorrow. My wife doesn't necessarily forget tomorrow. She may forget what started the argument, but she will not forget that she's mad. And even if she don't remember why she's mad, she's still mad. And <laughs> I've got older, you know, it's not near like it used to be, but maybe when <laughs> as I got older... <laughs> But I've gotten older, I will take an opposite point of view, even if I agree with her, right? Just to get the argument a little bit more feisty. <laughs> I know that's not right, but it's been 34 years. It's, it's worked, okay? But... <clears throat> But I know when to stop, okay? And I want to get down, I'll say, I agree with you. I just want to see how passionately you, you, you felt about that. <laughs> and she said, you just like to argue, don't you? I said, well, I think it's healthy sometimes, but I uh, just me. I'm a little bit sick. But, <laughs> but as temperatures flare, people are prone to dropping bombs when a slingshot would do. That can cause a lot of trouble because the size of the problem often changes based on how it is handled. One, if the reaction is worse than the action, the problem usually increases. If the reaction is less than the action, the problem usually decreases. Reprimand rule. Here you go. Take thirty seconds to share the feelings, and then it's over. Honey, take thirty seconds to share your feelings, and then it's over. <laughs> I mean, on. Am I okay? I'm going to keep going. Run me out on a rail. If it lasts longer than 30 seconds, you are using a hammer to swat the fly off someone's forehead. You are, because now you just want to win the argument. Take 30 seconds, how you feel, I feel, and I just use the words, I feel that, right? Use that and then move on. Golly, we got a lot of work to do here by the corner. (laughs) The court did he was saying, man, he's shaking his head. Yeah, right. What's the other word? <laughs> Some people um, seem to think that a hammer is good for everything, anything and everything. They take the hammer approach. Sometimes we see this approach in high achievers when they give, uh, there's something their attention. They go at it full bore. That's a good approach, but it t- it's a terrible way to treat people. It's a terrible way to treat people. If the only tool you have is a hammer, you will approach every problem as a nail. In my younger days, that's how I approached every problem. It's full board. This is my personality. Boom. Blue just man, and as I got older, I realized, you know, I can't run this restaurant by myself. And I've had a few times, my favorite words when I was younger was, get out. And if I was really mad, it's get out now. Well, human resources, as you get, you can't say you can't do that stuff anymore. Okay, and you're getting too old to run these restaurants by yourself. Right? So you got to get a little bit of wisdom. Along the way. And it took a little bit. I told people a lot of times, many people don't start using their head until their back starts to hurt. So your back will last you 40, maybe 50 good working years. Your mind will last you a lifetime. So you should use your head twice as much as you use your back. (coughs) I had a guy one time tell me, I told him that. I was teaching him something. He said, my back hurts. (laughs) I said, well, start using your head there, man. You know, (coughs) If you desire a softer approach with people, then uh, here's some following, some things you could use. Let the past stay the past. Let us stay the past. Lord's forgot about it. Why don't we? Tell you one little joke. Two men talking about their wives. We never do that, but that's just, just a story, okay? <clears throat> he said, "When we quarrel," said the first man, "she becomes historical." He said, "God, look at this. Don't you mean hysterical?" He said, no, historical. She reminds me everything that I've ever done wrong. <laughs> Am I still okay? All right, good. You know, we visit some other churches. We can, you know, I, there's some options out there. I just want you to know if we need to have, take them, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> Resolve an issue when it occurs. Once you're done with that, don't bring it up again. If you do, you are treating it As a nail. This is getting where we live. I'm just telling you, it's relationships, right? And I'll tell you, I'm telling you, I'm talking to this boy right here. So there's a mirror right there. I'm talking to me too. Gotten better. I'm still not there, and I've been married 34 years, but I've gotten a lot better. She has too. Now we spend more time. My my mom told us here a few years ago, you guys need to write a book because you on us to be able to just laugh, laugh at all the stuff. Now we just laugh about it. You know, maybe they're getting senile. I don't know, but. (laughs) You know, just laugh about some of the stuff. But <clears throat> um, Ask yourself, is my reaction part of the problem? And that happens sometimes, right? <clears throat> Remember that when a person's response is greater than the issue, the response is about something else. Don't make things worse by overreacting. When you're saying something, if somebody reacts really harshly, there's something going on. And as a child of God, as a person of God, we need to use wisdom and ask the Lord to make a sensitive to those and touch our hearts when that happens. Like, again, and I, I, I probably overdo it, but I, over, I, I really spend time watching and analyzing people because, you know, I always figured if I could figure out what makes them tick, if I could figure out, I'm having a problem with an employee. And I've done this many, many years, but I, if I had a employee that was going through something, if I could figure out what that was and I had the ability to help them, then not only have I converted a friend, right, a relationship, but a good employee for a long time. Um, and I did that. And what I would do if I found somebody. There's some people I couldn't help. I fired this girl one time for a bad attitude. You're kidding? I said no. I had I had a great restaurant. And years ago, and I had a really good restaurant. It was in Atlanta. Very hard to get good people because just they they just booming at that time. And I was there, and she kept walking my That's nasty attitude. Walking clock in, and just just like I'll just bring the whole try to bring the whole place down with just her attitude. So. I, I talked to her about trying to figure out what's going on. Hey, how can I help you? We need to do. Uh, I want to create a place that people want to come to work, right? And it's finally got to the point I said, if you walk in this store one more time with that look on your face, don't clock in because you're not going to get through the day. Sure enough, a few weeks. And she did. And I said, I uh-huh. said, so listen, love you. I appreciate you but I only want the best working for me, and there's there's an environment I want to create, and right now you're not part of that environment. She just wept. I felt, on the inside I felt bad, but I was trying to save the other 25 people that worked for me because there's one person, right? And I had to let her go as I walked her out the door. Um, But I I couldn't help her. My point was I couldn't help her. So what I did was I said, if I can't help her, let me begin to study and read and give me things that maybe next time I could help this person. And I didn't have to let her go. So over the years, if I was weak in an area, I would find ways to improve that area. Does it make sense? So that I can help people. We don't have all the answers. I know God's in us, but I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. Anything we can put on that will help people out there, then it behooves us to do it. It behooves us to do it. This is a life learning process, folks. We 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 will never graduate until the Lord comes back from glory or we die, either one. We never graduate. We're always learning. And if you're not growing, you're... Thank you. Got it. All right. So, things to remember. Remember the actions are remembered long after the words are forgotten. The way you treat people will stay with them a lot longer than the words you choose. Act accordingly. Never let the situation mean more than a relationship. had two friends, and and Carrie and and his wife will know who I'm talking about. These two friends were um, Jeff and Mike. And they owned a um, security, and I was—I uh, got him to do security for the, the place I was working at for us, and very good, came very good friends. with the church, went to, but they worked together in business, and they came to, to one day where they couldn't work together. I and mean, one of them called me and says, "I don't think that my brother treated me fairly. I just don't think it's right." Blah blah blah, and so it we went on and on and on, and so I just stopped him. I said, "Look, Mike." I said, long after this business folds, you still have your brother. He's still your brother. It don't matter what else happens. And you can't let this problem become bigger than your relationship because you don't want to lose your brother. Amen. He just stopped. And he realized the impact of what I was telling him, and they were able to work through it. But don't let the problem be outblow the relationship. Outgrow the relationship. Does it make sense? <clears throat> Treat loved ones with unconditional love. Uh, we gossip because we fail to love. When we love people, we don't criticize them. When we don't advertise the sins of people we love any more than we would advertise our own. Amen? Admit wrong and ask for forgiveness. Two best words you can ever learn to say? I'm sorry. And then your wife says, I know you're sorry, and I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> All right. But it really are... It's just, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know how many times that will deflect people instantly? They're mad. And you say, you know what? I apologize. I was wrong. And man, you could almost, isn't it, brother? Almost nine times out of ten, boom, it just goes away. Yeah. <laughs> I've never experienced that, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You don't always have to be wrong to apologize. It's all you have to do is humble yourself and apologize, and the healing begins instantly. That's an awesome thought. Let me tell you, because I I forgot I read the story I wanted to share with you. I had uh, exactly along those lines. I was uh, helping somebody. I was during an altar call one day at church, and and, a new converts came up. I think I did write that down, John and Julia Polk. And they approached the pastor afterwards and says, Brother Allen was rough with me in the altar. He was shaking with me. And, he, and I don't do that. And I must tell you right now, I didn't do it. Never prayed with her. Didn't do it. I would never do that. And I told the pastor I didn't do it. And he says, didn't sound like you, but she believes it was you. I said, I'm telling you, I never, I never prayed for her. It wasn't me. I don't know why she thought it was me. Well, they were new converts. And I stopped and I said, no problem. I will take care of this. So I caught them before they got into the car, and I approached them and I said, "Sister Polk, I apologize with how I handled you in the altar today. And I'm telling you folks, I never touched her. So I want you to forgive me, and I apologize. But you know what she said to me? Oh, brother Alan, don't worry about it. I know you didn't mean it. And I turned around and it went on. You know what that did? I it was, and it did something in my life. It made it made me go a little higher. It made me feel like. But the Lord made just a tiny bit of what he fell on the cross. He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I thought, I never know what that was like. But I thought, maybe just a little bit, right? And I felt something happen in my life from a spiritual aspect. And I thought, wow, what a great lesson. And to this day, they never know. Never knew. It doesn't matter. Yes, sir. Uh, what you did, were car- you know, Christ's substitution for ours If you had told her maybe, hey, I didn't touch you, you know, and been defensive about it, she still would have held it whoever that was and not known who that was. So you actually apologize for the person who did do it. You took that offense and made it right in her life. Awesome. It's an awesome thought. It's very powerful. See, when we come, when we, we operate and treat people like God intended, special things happen. God gives us things that he doesn't necessarily give everybody else right and when you operate you're taking care of his when you're taking care of the things that are most precious to God we'll talk more about that in a second admit wrong and ask forgiveness admitting you are wrong and asking forgiveness can cover a multitude of sins okay let's talk a little bit about boy time's flying about the about the elevator principle um elevator principle says we can lift people up or take people down in our relationships People can be the wind beneath our wings or the anchor in our boat. The question I must ask myself, would others say that I lift them up or do I bring them down? Some people are automatic lifters. You're around them, you just feel better. You mean by the Reynolds? Man, we were coming to blows out on this chilly thing. But I tell you, I, I enjoyed the whole That We never laughed. So I was halfway crying by the time we got down. We were laughing so much. And I see, I kept telling, man, take that hot dog chili at the other end with her serving hot dogs, and we just back and Well, you spent $2,000 on that chili. you should win that. We just went on and on all day. I think, I think Brother Thompson felt sorry for us. He was, trying to, he was trying to stay out of it. He tried to get in a couple times. They got too hit, He just stepped back out of the way. I think he realized, I can't play in this game. <laughs> didn't he? Didn't he, He's like, well, no, uh-uh. You know, we tried to pull him in a couple times. He wouldn't do it. He wasn't doing it. So he used a little bit more wisdom than we did. <laughs> we had a great time. So, so, what kind of person are you? I want to read a poem here. I'm not a, I'm not a poem reader, but I want to read this. Uh, let's see. It says, "What kind of person are you?" There are two kinds of people on the earth today. Just two kinds of people. No more, I say. Not the sinner of the state, for it's well understood that the good are half bad and the bad are half good. Not the rich and the poor, for to rate ma- a man's wealth, you must first know the state of his conscience and health. Not the humble and proud, for in life's little span, who puts on vain airs is not counted a man. Not a happy and sad, for the swift flying years bring each man his laughter and each man his tears. No, there are two kinds of people on the earth, I mean, are the people who lift and the people who lean wherever you go you'll find the earth's masses are always divided in these two classes and oddly enough you will find two I ween there's only one lifter to twenty who lean in which, clo- in which class are you are you easing the load of overtaxed lifters who toil down the road or are you a leaner who lets others share your portion of labor and worry and care I thought that was a neat little poem there some people add value to life or add something to life. We enjoy being around them. Amen? Uh, Evangelist D.L. Moody said, Do all the good you can to all the people can in all the ways you can as long as you can. Try to make it your, our goal to add value to people's lives every day. Add value. We possess something of value. More precious than gold, yea, much fine gold. We possess that. And I believe that with all of my heart. I possess it. Amen. That's add, be add, people that add value. Some people subtract something from life. And we tolerate them. Uh, subtractors do not bear our burdens. And they make heavier the ones we already have. The sad thing is that they do it unintentionally. If you don't know how to add value, you're probably subtracting by default. In relationships, receiving is easy. Giving is much more difficult. It's hard to build things, but easier, much easier to tear them down. It takes a carpenter a long time to build anything, and it takes but minutes you can destroy it. It's much easier to tear down than build up. Some people multiply something in life. We value those those types of people. Anyone who wants to can bring can become an adder. It takes only a desire to lift people and to intentionally to follow through. But to go another level in relationships, to become a multiplier, one must be intentional, strategic, and skilled. The greater the talent and resources a person possesses, the greater his potential to become a multiplier. They are passionate about making a difference. They will challenge and sharpen us. Who would not want to be around somebody like that? Right. We are commanded. to Those that know it to do good and doeth it not, it is what? too much is given much is do you believe those two? I believe it very strongly and we have a great burden I won't say called a burden but a great task upon us to add value and to treat people right and multiply things in their life amen some people divide something in life and we try to avoid them dividers are those who really take you to the basement meaning they will take you as low as you can go As often as they can. They're like a company's president who said to his personal assistant, a memo, he sent a memo saying, search the organization for an alert, aggressive young man who can step into my shoes and when you find him, fire him. That came quick, I hit you, you didn't know what's coming on that one, did you? Dividers are so damaging because unlike subtractors, their negative actions are usually intentional they are hurtful people who make themselves look or feel better by trying to make someone else do worse than they do. Thus, they damage relationships and create havoc in people's lives. Avoid them. Run from them as quickly as you can. I've worked some, for some people like that in the past, or known some people. Avoid them. At All cost. They're damaging. <coughs> Lifters commit themselves to the daily encouragement. Whenever a human, uh, whenever there's a human, there's opportunity for Kindness. If you want to lift people up, encourage others and do it daily. I can tell you some stories but we don't have time. Uh, but find every day somebody to lift. When I go home at night, and I think I shared this with you before, some of you, when I was up here, is I don't look to see how many cups of coffee or how big are sales. That's not how I kind of judge my day. My day is judged by who I have added value today. Who have I added value to today? That's absolutely how I go home. That's what makes me get back up tomorrow and go back to work. Because it was about hamburgers or roast beef or pizza or everything else I've ever worked. I wouldn't go back to work. Okay? Because it's not about whatever you're doing. It's about the people. Even there. Even there. Um, Lifters know the little difference that separates hurting and helping. A smile, a kind word instead of a criticism lifts people's spirits rather than dragging them down. You hold the power to make another person's life better or worse by the things you do today. Those closest to us, our spouse, our children, our parents, are most affected by what you say and do. Use that power wisely. And I will tell you, what does the anointing do? Can anybody tell me? Breaks the yoke. That's why it's important. At the same time, the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And when you're an apostolic person, did you know how much power is in you to cut somebody to a quick we can do it I can do it I know I can do it I can sit there and I can look and think I'm thinking the whole time buddy if I just you know I, if, I, if I wanted to I know I could cut him but it's not the right thing to do it's not the right it's not the right thing to do and especially when you know you can and you have every opportunity to but it's not necessarily the right thing to do <clears throat> so we need to use our power wisely what God has put in us Lifters initiate the positive in a negative environment. That's why, really, if you want to see somebody get the Holy Ghost, so I came from a church that uh, was in the middle of a revival, and when they actually got the church built, it was full. They built a church. to It was in Parkersburg, and they built a church to fill a church, and by the time they got the church filled, they had 150 people receive the Holy Ghost during that time. And when they got into that new church, I got a picture that somebody sent me on Facebook. It was full. And I came in. Amen. And I was part of that revival. I was one of those. was one during that time, my mom and I. But what was powerful about it, it was powerful environment. It was an environment of power, of faith. Of It wasn't, can I tell you, and I, and I think, we, I weep. And I'm a big baby, by the way. I'm a crier. So I cry. I like to cry. And, uh, you know, it's But you wouldn't know that. I mean, a teddy bear. But, but I do. I get, I'm very, very sensitive, emotional. But I know that people that walk in those doors back there, what do you think they're looking for? people that are down and crying and like lack a faith and a, no they want the power of god they want to be able to walk in and feel the power of god and when they do getting the holy ghost is not a problem not a problem It is not a problem i'm telling you god wants to fill people with the holy ghost so man when you have power and when you have faith and people walk in it they feel it when they walk in that door You know, sometimes we get caught up in us. You know, we want to get our problems, and so we get caught up in the the emotion. It's about them. It's about reaching out to people, right, and helping them. And uh, it was unusual for during this revival time and the years I was in the parks for church that we'd get up on Sunday night. How many people got the Holy Ghost? This has been 37 years ago. How many people got the Holy Ghost tonight? Not unusual. Every service. 10 or 15 people. Raise their hand. 10 or 15 people. That's another story. But... It's one thing to be positive in a positive environment or a neutral environment. It's another to be an instrument of change in a negative environment. That's what lifters do. Sometimes they require, that requires a kind word. Other times it takes a servant's action. Hmm. You know, the higher you move up in any kind of position, I personally believe, you should become more of a servant. It's the way the Lord demonstrated it. Right? But we, we don't always do that. I mean... I always call it work I tell my folks it's called servant leadership and we're there to remove the obstacles from our people and make sure they have all the tools that they need to be successful that's what a servant leadership does in, in the world in, in the work environment but even in the church um, <clears throat> because leaders lifters understand that life is not a dress rehearsal I expect to pass through this world but once any good therefore that I can do or kindness that I can show to my fellow creature let me do it now let me not defer or neglect, for I shall not pass this way again. People who lift others wait and do not wait until tomorrow or some other better day to help people. They act now. Everyone can become a lifter. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to ha- have it all together. You, can, you do have to care about people and initiate lifting activities. Don't let another day go by without lifting people in your life. And doing that will positively change the relationships that you already have and open us up to many more. Amen? Let me share this with you because i got about six minutes. I really want to share this with you. Um, We've we went in the last four weeks. We've talked about the lens principle, the mirror principle, the pain principle, the elevator principle, and those are all about relationships to help us get to the point that we are willing to focus on others. That's this next. That's the next step to all this, okay? When I come back, whenever I pastor. Once we, I, we'll talk about focusing on other people. Because the last few weeks, we're focusing about us. Okay, us. Because we can't have healthy relationships if we, we're not healthy. Amen? We got to be grow. <clears throat> but I want to share this with you. And I said that years ago, I was in a Parksburg church. Um, and those people that I would say, 10 or 15 people, and although the church filled up, I could look back years ago, 37 years ago, and I could remember the Lord dropping in my heart. My question is, why don't we have more people stay? In a couple of weeks, those 10 people, we couldn't find them. If I I know there was a, I heard a CD here a few, from a few years ago, and if I said the name, everybody in this room would know who they were, everybody. And my brother was taping the session, so he got the tape, he a DVD or the CD and sent it to me. It was a, it was a pastor's thing, and they were in a closed room. They asked some questions. One pastor got up and says, Brother so-and-so, i like to know how to stop the revolving door. I can get people to come to church, I can get people to help me get the Holy Ghost. Even get them baptized. But then six months from now, I can't find him. And the one thing that shocked me, this is 35 years after receiving the Holy Ghost, right? I'm saying, all right, this brother, so-and-so, is going to have the, the answer that I've been looking for. I've been thinking about it. He's going to have it. Stood up, and he said to those preachers sitting in that room, he said, I don't know. He said, We baptized 800 people last year. And if I could find 50, we would be doing good. 800 people. Now, when I started this three weeks ago, I asked you, did God ever give us anything that wasn't intended to grow? He didn't. He's always intended to grow. So nowadays, you know you don't even have to knock a door. I could tell you without going back, but if I went to the records of this church, I could tell you this church probably averages about 400 visitors a, m- a year, counting Easter. Probably four, four to 500. I would be, I'm probably within 10% of that. That's how close I think I am. Okay, because I've done this over and over and over. <clears throat> and let me ask you this question. I want to stir something up in your mind. I want you to think about it. Is the way we are treating God's creation hindering our walk with God and causing revival from exploding in our midst. Let me, let me share this with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it. So the, is the way that we are treating God's creation, did you know the person standing on the other side of this door is just as valuable to God as we are? Do you believe that? Real, do we really believe it? it? Is the way we are treating God's creation hindering our walk with God and causing revival exploding in our midst now i'm just going to use us because we're here okay so there's no offense to anybody i am just want to use these numbers so i would say again i may be wrong but i don't think i am i think a minimum of four to five hundred people a year go through the doors of this church so of all the people all the places we've knocked doors in the last 10 years how many of you have had 500 people come to church because of that so without any without a lot of coaxing people are fighting the devil They're getting up on Sunday, finding the devil and all his angels to get to this building with their kids, their families, and they're walking in our doors. The Bible says that that the wheat is is white under harvest. I mean, it's overripe, and they're falling into the church. They are falling. The wheat is, God has said, okay, we can't reach them out. I'm going to send them to you. Send them to us. Four to five hundred people a year. I've seen churches with as many as 1,200 come into the doors a year. And we're not keeping 10%. 40 people a year. I'm going to give this math because I did it last night. Real easy math. But 40 people a year, five years, this church would, actually in three years, we'd have two years, we'd probably have to start building for five years into a church that seats about five or 600 people. Because we'd be running about 340 people. Just, just by only keeping... Ten percent. Anybody live off ten percent? No, I mean, just think of that number for a minute. Ten percent. And this is not. A, look, this is not a. This is not a decoration to you. I, I, I've been all over. My wife and I have been in. I've lived in like ten different states now. It's not different anywhere. The number one thing people struggle with is that visitor follow-up part or that part of it. But it's thing. I've asked myself since I was sixteen years old. I've asked myself the question, why. I am very, very, I'm very, very, how should I say, say sensitive or very spiritually sensitive to how the things of God are handled. Meaning, I believe that although we are the temple of God, this is the place we come and meet God. This is the place we come to worship. So it should be, it should be treated with honor. And it should be treated with respect. Okay? And I also believe that how we handle the things of God, and I'll tell you what got me really thinking about this the other day, again, was Brother Ward and Brother Thompson's interaction on Sunday morning about the Ark of the Covenant and what that entails. When they lost the Ark of the Covenant, and it was in the hands of the Philistines, right, they found it, they rejoiced, they found it. What happened? The, high, the priest took it, put it on there, and they loaded it on the cart. What happened? They, they killed them. Well, they found the God. They were rejoicing. They, t- they, they. It was a good thing they found it, right? It was a good thing they were getting it from the hands of Phil. That wasn't a good thing. Somebody forgot to tell that young man about the importance of handling the things of God correctly. And I believe today, even today, and I know my time's up, but I'm going to share this. I believe even today that we bring a lack of growth and uh, even as much I won't use the word curse because I think it's too strong of a word but a lack of growth in our midst because we don't handle the things of God correctly mama's not happy finish the sentence thank you the church is what the mother of us all if we're not taking care of this place God's not happy now I'll leave that because that's a whole another it's a whole other deal But I will say this, when we're handling the thing the most precious to God is what? It's people. So could we maybe not be handling the people of God that he died for outside those walls correctly? And maybe because our relationships aren't correct, right? And we have all this pent up, I'm holier than thou, I'm better than you, that kind of thing in our lives, that God is saying, you're not treating what I died for them. You're not treating them correctly. Therefore, no growth. Maybe 37 years. The question is pondered for 37 years. Now, as I was doing this lesson, I, always, I spent a lot of years concentrating, Brother Corner, about the things of God, the church, and the, those things inside the building. But it just hit me as I'm going through these relationships. The Lord's saying, if the peop- my people would learn to treat my creation like I have treated them, then I can, I can grow. The people will grow. The people will come. Because you know why? That world out there is starving for what we have in this building. It is starving for what we have. They want it, they just don't know it yet. It's the best kept secret, right? But as they come in, it'll come in with all kinds of stuff on them, right? All kinds of stuff of weighing them down. and, and, and We can't look. That, you know what? Sin is not a problem for God. Can I tell you that? Hello? Sin's not a problem. Come on in. Right? Amen. He died for sin. Amen. We have more problem with it than God does. It scares us sometimes, right? Oh my Lord, look what's coming through the door. <laughs> Am I telling you the truth? And all I want in these last three these three lessons is I want you to think about your relationships every single day. How we interact with our brother and our sister here and our brother and our sister that we don't have here yet. Amen? Think about those. When Brother Kleinus first came to Lynchburg, we had 12 voting members. My wife and I didn't vote for him. We had 12 voting members. The reason why we didn't vote because there was one guy in the church who had eight votes, and he said, well, I got eight votes, so we know who's going to be pastor. So I said, okay, God, if he's going to be pastor and it's your will, we ain't voting for him. That way, if something happens, it was crazy. Anyway, it's the worst decision we made, but also we're glad to have him. So we loved him. We, you know. But in the very beginning, we didn't have a piano player, a musician, uh, anything like that. Right? We just, it was just, there wasn't much there. So one day, this couple came to the church. May and Joy Deacon. You talk about broken. These folks were broken. One time, he bought a box. He had evangelist there, and he bought a box of pills up the front. And he says, "Who needs prayer. He comes up, and he opens this box of pills. It must have been 24 pills in his box. And that evangelist said, man, you don't need healing. You need an overhaul. And his family was as dysfunctional as you could ever see anybody dysfunctional. I'm telling you. Um, so they came up to me. service, and said, we, we're, when the do- it was a daughter. It was a, joy, it was a joy deacon came up to me and said, um, we don't have any food in the house. I said, tell me where you live. We'll be there. Come out. So <clears throat> I come, took some food, noticed that the grass in the yard was about that high. So I got some brothers of the church, all six of us, five of us, how many it was back then. We got them together, and we went, showed up at their house, took some more food, got out, did all the yard, cleaned up all the rats and messes. You wouldn't even tell you what's in that yard. They said, hey, can you help us move this piano? Then go in our house, said, yeah. Walked in the house, and I grabbed the piano, and there was hair on it, on the back of the piano. I was, okay. So we moved the piano. We were out doing we were outside all at once. I hear this music. This piano probably was 100 years old. And I began to hear this piano playing. It's playing. Oh, I stopped. I told Brother Hernandez. I said, there's our next piano player. There's our next piano player. We won those people to God. And Sister Mae Deacon, the time I left... She wanted to do something for God. And her hands were curled like this, and her feet, I don't know how she did it. Her feet was, you know, they were just gnarled, gnarled. She wanted to do something for God. And I created some ministries to help people find what they need to do for God. She said, I said, what do you want to do? She says, can I plant flowers? Sure. So you go by, you drive by, any given day of the week, it's just there deacons out there in the front of y'all, her hands and knees. You couldn't, like I said, was just painful, planting those flowers and taking care of them every week. Even broke her ankle. One day I was out to the church and she slipped and broke her ankle. We had to call and get her. the time I left, they were locked in. <laughs> what are you saying, Brother Allen? You don't know who's going to walk through our doors or who you're going to touch. It needs God. And one act of kindness, one word of good, when you, when you, maybe you wanted to say something else or maybe they even deserved it. It doesn't matter. But I tell you, This church has a lot of great things going on, a lot of great people. That's why we fell in love with it, my wife and I. There's bigger churches, but they're missing something that you folks have. And that's why we're here. Amen? So thank you for being so attentive. So I'll stand. We'll let Brother Corner come and dismiss us in Jesus' name.